Mercedes slipping away, two-in-one horror and Sergio's resurgence. This week I'm talking all about the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and this week we are talking all about the Sao Paulo Grand Prix or the Brazilian Grand Prix. Just a quick note before I start this podcast episode off, it is bonfire night tonight in the UK and there are a lot of fireworks going off outside my window and some of them are quite loud so I'm not sure if the mic is going to pick up on them or not. I'm hoping not but if you do hear a boom it's just down to the fireworks that are going on outside. But let's get into everything that's been going on this weekend. And the Brazilian Grand Prix is one of my favourite Grand Prix on the F1 calendar. Singapore is my absolute favourite. I love Monza, I love Silverstone, but I really, really love Brazil. I love the energy the fans bring. I love the entire circuit. I think it's just a really, really beautiful track that we watch F1 race at. So I have been super excited about this weekend. And I got even more excited when F1 announced that they are extending the Sao Paulo Grand Prix until 2030 at Interlagos. I personally think this is great news, not just for me, but for the fans that live out in Brazil and for F1. I think we get really incredible racing out in Sao Paulo. As much as I'm not a huge fan of the sprint races, 2021 and 2022 did give us some very good on-track action at the sprint race. It's not a really, really difficult track for drivers to take on, and they seem to really enjoy racing that as well. And like I mentioned, the fans and the atmosphere there is just incredible, on top of the fact that, of course, Brazil is the home country of Senna, and we hear so many incredible tributes and stories about him and what he has meant to drivers on and off the grid. So I am extremely excited and happy that we will be racing there until 2030. So I think that was one of the big pieces of news to come out of this weekend. The other piece of news that we had was the fact that Haas has filed for a right of review. And I do run through this on my TikToks. If you're not following me on there, you can find me at stewards underscore office. But a quick rundown of what is going on there. So a team representative for Haas had come out during the Brazilian Grand Prix weekend and said that the team had filed a right of review of the United States Grand Prix results. Now, the team representative didn't say what it was for, just said that they had filed that right of review. But media is saying that it is down to the track infringements that Haas believes weren't properly penalised during the United States Grand Prix. And a right of review essentially means that if the FIA accept it, Haas can bring evidence that they have found that is new evidence from the United States Grand Prix to show the stewards that there were track limit infringements that weren't picked up on and there were enough of them that a driver should have been penalised. Now the FIA don't have to actually accept this right of review, they can reject it before even looking at it, but if they do accept it they'll run through all the evidence that Haas has given and then decide whether or not the stewards are right at the time or Haas is right. Obviously if we do see drivers getting penalised it could promote Haas up into the points for that race. Nico Hülkenberg was in P11 so he was only one place off of getting into the points. Haas are currently at p10 in the constructors so they are in last place 
So every point really does count, especially when we have so few races left this season. So we will wait and see what comes of that. But all we know right now is that Haas have confirmed that they have filed a right of review. And I think that was all the news that really came out of Brazil. Nothing really, I think, in the run-up to the week either. Like I mentioned last week on the podcast, when we have these sort of triple headers and even double headers, the news is a little bit slower. I feel like we'll probably hear a couple of things when we leave Brazil now over the next coming week because you've got a break before we go to Las Vegas. But those are the two big pieces of news. Sao Paulo Grand Prix contract extension and then Haas filing a right of review. And now that we've done that, let's get into the actual action on track. This was, yet again, another sprint weekend. Sao Paulo is the only Grand Prix that has held three sprint weekends. So they have held them since they started in 2021, all the way up to now in 2023. So the FIA and F1 obviously like the action that they're getting from the Sao Paulo circuit, the Interlagos circuit which is why we keep getting a sprint race here. It is also our last sprint race of the year, the last one for this season. So the only FP1 session we had, Aston Martin were doing a sort of mismatch of their upgraded components to figure out and find a setup and a car that was going to work best and more car that was going to work best for Brazil. Not necessarily the best car that they had overall, but just a car they knew was going to work best for the Interlagos circuit. I think they just knew they needed to have a strong car that could get them a good set of points because the form for this triple header has not been great for them. And for the driver's morale and the team's morale as well, they really just needed to get some good points on the board. So there was sort of a pick and mix going on with their car, some of the old upgrades, some of the newer upgrades, just something they thought could work here. A lot of hard tyre running during FP1, I think because they weren't going to be a tyre that was going to be used very much like the rest of the weekend, it was going to be the best tyre to sort of use and just get some data on the cars and the car setup. I think the only two things of note in FP1 that really happened for me were the fact that Fernando Alonso got a slow puncture and had to be called back into the pits to get that sorted out. And then Daniel Ricciardo had spent about 10 to 15 minutes in the garage with a broken floor that was just repaired with some speed tape and they set him back out but that was it really that's the main bits that really happened in fp1 and then we went into friday afternoon and we had qualifying absolutely gutting that we saw both alpha Tari's exit in q1 they had amazing pace out in mexico and that just didn't translate for qualifying at least out in interlagos and I think this was Yuki Tsunoda's first time being knocked out of Q1 since Hungary. So I'm not entirely sure what happened there. And it might have just been a tyre prep issue. Maybe the drivers weren't exactly in tune with the car during Q1, but was gutting for them. And the other exit I wanted to talk about in Q1 was Logan Sargent. Because he was a driver in his press conference for the Sao Paulo Grand Prix said that he wanted to have stronger Saturdays. That was sort of his focus in these last three races. I mean, a Friday for qualifying at Interlagos, but you get what I mean. He wanted to have a stronger qualifying. I think he knew that the Williams has pace, and if he could qualify further up the grid, it would benefit him a lot more, but it just wasn't able to happen in Q1 at Interlagos. 
Q2, we had both horses getting into Q2, but not getting any further. And there was a lovely stat going around that they are the only team that has had both drivers take pole position. We've had other teams win at Sao Paulo, but Haas with Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hülkenberg are the only two drivers in the same team that have taken a pole position there. But yeah, just no pace to get them out of Q2. Alex Alburn was also knocked out and gutting for Williams, gutting for Alex, but I don't think they were going into this qualifying session and into Brazil with a lot of hope about what was going to happen for them. I think they knew their car was going to be a little bit weaker here. And so, yep, he got knocked out in Q2. And we also saw both Alpines get knocked out. Up and down season for them, as per usual. Sometimes they have great qualifying sessions. I'd say this was fairly average for them. Didn't get knocked out in Q1, didn't get into Q3, but did get knocked out in Q2. And then in Q3, we had... Everyone managed to do a single fast lap run and then the rain started to come down and oh my gosh, did it come down. You could see the massive dark rain cloud that was slowly swooping into the circuit and it just looked awful. The wind was terrible, the rain was bucketing and bucketing down. It looked like nighttime at the circuit. It was completely different. The lighting, the weather, everything. I mean, there was a roof of a grandstand that had gone down with the weather being that bad. So that just tells you how awful the weather was. And so they did red flag that session because of the changing climate. So there was an early end in Q3. We had Max Verstappen take pole, Charles Leclerc starting alongside him in P2, and then Lance Stroll in P3. And that is the highest that Lance Stroll has qualified this season. Oscar had ended up making a mistake on his flying lap and was in P10. Lando had gone out on old soft tyres, I think, because I don't think anyone was expecting the weather to get that bad, and ended up in P7 because of that. Alonso was in P4, so he had Lance and Fernando P3, P4. And then a lot of post-quality investigations for impeding incidents around the pit lane. The FIA had said they were going to clamp down on it a little bit more for safety concerns and just to make sure it was fair for everyone coming out of the pit lane. And George Russell ended up getting a two-place grid penalty for impeding in the pit lane and he was going to be taking that penalty during the Grand Prix on Sunday. Now, the sprint shootout on Saturday afternoon, I actually ended up missing it. Not entirely missing it. So I was at a rugby match did manage to keep up with the F1 live timings on my phone. But yeah, I wasn't actually able to watch what was going on, but I did see the data and see the results as they were coming through. So yes, I saw that awful red flag caused by Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso's contact. So, so grateful that both of them were okay, especially with the absolute force that Esteban Ocon had seemed to go into the tyre barrier with. The car was absolutely wrecked, but so grateful that both of them had managed to come away from that quite safely. Alonso, though, didn't have as much visible damage as Esteban Ocon. He did manage to limp back into the pits and just wasn't able to carry on during the sprint qualio, even though SQ2 was delayed and Fernando Alonso had managed to get into SQ2. The Aston Martin mechanics just weren't able to repair his car in time. Now, that did get investigated 
the stewards and the race director said that neither car was really predominantly to blame there. And I think I agree with them, to be fair. I think it was a case of wrong place, wrong time for both of them. Because by the looks of it, Ocon was just trying to save his car from a snap. Had Fernando Alonso not been at that point on the track at that time, there wouldn't have been an issue. And the same with Fernando Alonso. I think he drifted slightly a little bit towards the racing line. And that wouldn't have been an issue had Ocon also not have been there. So I don't think there was anyone to blame, but it was just gutting for both of the drivers that it really was wrong place, wrong time. Williams ended up being knocked out in SQ1 and that was both of their cars. So I think they were just struggling at Interlagos. It wasn't going to be a happy hunting ground for them and qualifying that far back in a sprint race as well was not going to help them at all. I think sprint shootout itself was fairly normal after that incident between Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. We got both AlphaTauris into SQ3. So after what wasn't a great qualifying, sprint quality actually went much, much better for them. So I don't think it was a pace issue during quality. Might have been a tyre warm-up issue. Like I said, maybe the drivers just couldn't get into the sort of groove with the car properly. Maybe it was a little bit of a balance issue that they were able to just sort out within the parameters of Park Fume. But yeah, sprint quality was so, so much better for them. So I'm very impressed about that. Lando Norris ended up taking pole position for the sprint. Max Verstappen was in P2 and Sergio Perez managed to take P3. And this was definitely one of his better qualifying performances. Now, the sprint race I was home for, so I was able to watch it. But I don't think that the 2023 Sao Paulo sprint race really gave us as much action as its previous sprint races have. We had most of the grid starting on soft tyres and it was just Logan Sargent and the horses that were on the mediums. Max took the lead from Lando Norris during that first lap. I think Norris was just caught a little bit unaware at that point. There wasn't really a whole load of battling at the front of the field. Mercedes had an absolutely awful sprint race. They were just falling behind, really, really struggling with the car. Lewis was not happy after that sprint race. Just said it was horrible for him. There was talk of the Ferraris getting too warm by lap seven of the sprint race, which is a little bit worrying. But I think the main battles we really saw during the sprint race were around P8 to around P11 or 12, I think. So we saw some battles between Carlos Sainz, Daniel Ricciardo and Oscar Piastri. And then a battle literally behind them with Fernando Alonso and Pierre Gasly. So we had the first three battling for one point and then the last two battling for no points but the battles with all five of those were absolutely amazing to watch even though it's for one point and no points really really good driving but those were really the only battles that we saw everywhere else on the grid it felt a little bit stagnant we didn't really get a lot of shifting around of drivers it really was those five drivers that were giving us all of the on-track action during the sprint race and for me, that in itself made it a better sprint race than Austin because there was at least something going on and really interesting wheel-to-wheel racing with those five. So not the worst sprint race in general, but I don't think it's one of Sao Paulo's best. Max ended up taking the win for the sprint, followed by Lando and then Sergio Perez. And this, I think, is Sergio Perez's first top three finish since the Italian Grand Prix. Yeah, I just want to go double check. So I had it done in my notes, but then I also put a question mark next to it. So yeah, it has been his first top three finish since Monza. 
five races that man has not been on a podium for, and he has finally managed to do it. So hopefully that is a massive, massive morale boost for him. Going into the race, I think it was the very start of the race and the very end of the race that were the most interesting points. So let's go through a couple of the race highlights and then we'll get into how I think all of the teams ended up doing during this weekend. So we had Charles Leclerc crashing out on the formation lap. He didn't even manage to finish the formation lap and the car had given up on him. The power steering had gone and then the engine went and he went into a barrier. He initially said it was down to hydraulics, then said actually his engineers had looked at the data, it does look like something else, but he can't say what it is right now. So that was the first DNF of the race. He managed to get the car into a runoff area so it's safely off of the track and so the race start didn't need to be delayed. And then the lights went out for the race start. And Nico Hulkenberg clipped Alex Alban. Alex Alban ended up clipping Kevin Magnussen. Kevin Magnussen clipped Oscar Piastri and broke his front wing. Alex Alban and Kevin Magnussen then went into the barriers because of the contact that they had. And then a tyre, and I think it was from Alex Alban's car, ended up hitting Daniel Ricciardo's rear wing and that broke. And that was all within turn one, lap one of the race. It was a lot. And it took me having to read through the commentary notes of this Grand Prix to fully understand what happened because they kept showing the replays, but I really could not figure out what exactly had gone on there. And it was gutting because Alex Alban had had a really good start. Nico Hulkenberg hadn't meant to clip him. And then that meant that Alex Alban hadn't actually meant to clip Kevin Magnussen. I think as Kevin Magnussen was spinning off track, he then clipped Oscar Piastri. But there was just so much going on that early on in the race. We did end up getting a red flag. So we had a safety car come out first and that was going through the pit lane. And then we had a red flag out because they needed to get the cars off track and then there needed to be some repairs done to the barrier. The red flag though did mean that Nico Hulkenberg could have his car repaired. He stayed in the pit lane and the fast lane in the pit lane where the cars were lining up though. So he didn't actually go back into his garage. And then Oscar Piastri and Daniel Ricciardo also did get back to the pit lane, but had to go into their garage. So they went in while the safety car was out. And I think they were ready to retire both cars. The red flag meant that McLaren and Alfa were like, actually, no, wait, we'll see if we can repair this during the red flag and then see if we can send you out again. And they did manage it. All three of those cars were repaired, but Daniel Ricciardo and Oscar Piastri, because they'd gone back into the garage and not into the fast lane, did have to start from the pit lane and we were a lap down anyway because they had gone in and had missed the lap that the safety car was doing. The race restart had Verstappen in P1, Norris P2, Hamilton P3, Alonso P4 and Stroll P5. And then yes, we had lost Leclerc, Alban and Magnussen at this point. So we already had three DNFs and technically hadn't had any racing laps. We had had three laps of the Grand Prix go by, but not a single racing lap had actually happened. It was a little bit of a quiet race after that. Mercedes were really, really struggling. The Aston Martin did very good pace. By lap 23, Zhou Guan Yu had to retire the car. On lap 44, Valtteri Bottas had to retire his car. Lap 59, George Russell had to retire the Mercedes. So at this point, we were up to six DNFs. 59 laps in and we were at six DNFs. But that middle chunk of the race was fairly quiet. 
I don't think we have proper battles necessarily going on on track. What we had were overtakes happening, but I wouldn't call them battles. There wasn't a lot of back and forth. The cars that were overtaking the Mercedes, I mean, the Mercedes had no straight line speed. They were very, very draggy this weekend. So it wasn't really a battle. It was just being able to overtake and then cars either not able to fight back at that point or just not able to fight back at all. So it was a quiet chunk of the race in the middle, to be fair. For a lot of the race, it was fairly quiet. We saw some overtakes happening. I think it was only when Sergio Perez had caught up with Fernando Alonso in P3 that we really saw some on-track action. And we saw him sort of closing in and Fernando really having to manage his pace and try and keep ahead of Sergio Perez. So we did have Max Verstappen win, Alando Norris in P2. Fernando Alonso did keep P3 by only 0.1 seconds. So that was incredible driving from Fernando Alonso and the Aston Martin. Gutting for Sergio Perez to miss out on that podium, but Fernando Alonso drove a very incredible race to keep that P3. The rest of our points finishes then. Like I mentioned, Sergio Perez in P4. Lance Stroll P5, Carl Sainz P6, then we had Pierre Gasly, Lewis Hamilton, Yuki Tsunoda and Esteban Ocon. And Lando Norris took the point for fastest lap. But let's go into how all of our teams did. Red Bull, once again, for another race, have not won by as big of a margin as they have, especially towards the beginning of the season and even a couple of races ago, right? The gap between him and Lando Norris when they crossed the finish line was 8.277 seconds. And Lando was closing in on him on those end stages. He was closing that gap and doing quicker lap times. And this bodes really well for next year that we're seeing McLaren especially catch up with Red Bull. They're getting there, they're chipping away at the time. And 8 seconds, yes, it still feels like a lot. But it's a lot smaller than when it was a 30-second gap, a 40-second gap. That's dramatically, dramatically lessened over the course of this season. And we do have McLaren to thank for that. The Red Bull, though, I mean, Max had said during his press conference he wasn't really sure how it was going to do here. The car's not great in slow-speed corners. And obviously, last year was not brilliant for them. They didn't end up winning that race. They didn't end up in P2. It was a Mercedes 1-2 out in Brazil. Max had struggled in the sprint race, hadn't had the best race, especially by his standards as well. So they were hoping to do better. But, I mean, he had complained of the car bouncing a little bit and having the same problems as they'd had in Mexico during free practice. Overall, though, maybe not the most straightforward win for him and the most comfortable in terms of being 30 seconds ahead of the field, but still a win. And for Sergio Perez, this was such a better weekend from him it has been so much better than we've seen from him in weeks months even this has been an incredible weekend for him points in the sprint points in the race and not small points either you got p3 in the sprint and then p4 in the race that's a great point sort to come away with especially considering how his home race went how austin went just how a lot of the races this season have gone for him lately. Does this mean he's back on form? We're going to see the Sergio Perez for the rest of the season and the two races we have left? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see until we get to Vegas and then into Abu Dhabi for the last race of the season. 
But I think he needed a weekend like this. He needed a weekend to sort of boost his morale, to make him feel better. And yes, he is still not necessarily matching Max's times, although qualifying is going better for him. I think during the race, he obviously qualified further down, which is why he was having to battle his way up through the field a little bit more. But I think it was definitely a better weekend for him. A sort of look at the Sergio Perez of old when we've seen these really good performances from him. We saw that again today, that battle with Alonso for P3. So hopefully we will continue seeing that trend and also see it going into next year, into 2024 as well. His contract does run out next year. I don't think Red Bull will be renewing his contract with them. And so he needs to have these good performances, consistent good performances and a good season next year. So another team will want to sign him. So a really, really good weekend from Sergio Perez and from Red Bull as a whole. Moving on to Mercedes and what an absolutely awful weekend it was for them. And I mean, this has to be one of their worst weekends since they introduced the B-Spec car. I don't even know what to say. It was painful to watch. I can't imagine how it felt being Lewis or George in the car, being talked to well for any of the mechanics and engineers watching that race, watching the entire weekend unfold. Forget about just the Grand Prix. This was pure pain. I don't even know where to start here. Neither the drivers were happy. Toto was not happy. Lewis said that they just couldn't get the setup right. They'd gone with the wrong setup and that was what was causing the problem. And Mercedes have not been great at straight line speed. They're not the best with it. But I've never seen it be this bad since they changed to this B-spec car. So you would hope that it's just a setup issue with that one free practice session and they just weren't able to dial in the car to where they needed it to be. And that's what's causing the problems. But if it's not the setup, and this is just a general problem. Vegas will be very difficult with the number of straights that are there, and it is yet another issue to add to a list of issues that Mercedes are going to try and need to work out very quickly before the start of next season. George Russell had retired due to high and worsening oil temps, and the team were worried that the PU was just going to go into flames had they carried on with him driving. I mean, Lewis finished in P8. I think Mercedes in general are extremely lucky to have gotten points. We had five DNFs, not including George's, obviously. And one of them was Charles Leclerc, who was going to be starting in P2. And I think he definitely would have managed to stay on the points. Oscar Piastri had managed to finish running the race, but was a lap down and wasn't really competitive and definitely not for the points. So that would have bumped them down to P10. And yeah, had George managed to finish the race and those two drivers in Charles and Oscar also being able to run where they should have been and run it all in the case of Charles then yeah I think we only would have had one Mercedes taking home points anyway so I think luck was on their side a little bit today but worrying signs will be interesting to see what happens in Vegas I'm not too hopeful but we will wait and see Talking about miserable weekends, we move on to Ferrari and poor Charles Leclerc, who just kept asking down the radio why he was so unlucky. And during his TV pen interview or his media pen interview, just reiterated the fact that he's just not had luck this year and he doesn't know what to do. I think this could have been a promising race for him. I was predicting a top five finish for one of the Ferraris. It could have been him. 
potentially could have been a podium. I don't know. The Aston Martin piece is very strong, and as was Sergio Perez, who's finishing behind Fernando Alonso. But I think that would have been really good points for him this race, and Ferrari would have really needed that with Mercedes doing so badly this weekend with one car DNFing from them. Those points would have really helped them to get P2 in the constructors. Carlos Sainz was having issues with his clutch. He's really, really not happy with it. But he did have a pretty okay race, actually. Finished in P6 behind Lance Stroll. That was his main battle was with this weekend. But yeah, the Aston Martin pace was just too quick, I think, for Ferrari to be able to catch up with. McLaren, I mean, just a strong weekend for them again. I don't think there's much more to say. I think it's a lot like Red Bull at the moment in that they're very consistent with what they're doing and they're doing it well. They're the sort of performances you just come to expect from Lando Norris right now and he is just pulling out these performances consistently the way you want him to, the way McLaren want him to. Gutting for Oscar Piastri, I mean, this has not been the best weekend for him. The issue that he had during qualifying had put him out of place really on the grid and then just ended up falling victim to another incident that he couldn't have done anything to avoid. Hopefully Vegas will be going better for him though in Abu Dhabi and he'll have a nice strong end to the season. Aston Martin had a much, much better weekend and I think they kind of had the same sort of weekend Sergio Paris has had. They needed a good weekend, they needed a weekend to boost morale, they needed a weekend where their car just worked and their drivers weren't wondering why things weren't working. I know Fernando Alonso is saying, look, we're not lost. Who's told you we're lost with our car development? Look at how well we're doing now. I know there are people who are very excited to see this from Aston Martin, but I think it's still too early to say that right now. It has been a single race and much like Sergio Perez, we can't tell whether this is something that will be able to carry on. P2 and P3 in qualifying, I do think was just a little bit down to luck. I still think they would have been around the midway point of the top 10. I think one of the cars would have been in the top 5. But I think the red flag because of the weather conditions did help them out. But this has only been a single circuit that we've seen them perform well in since their disaster upgrades. They have got a week now before they go to Vegas, so maybe they'll figure out then what they need for the car there. But I think it's still too early to say that Aston Martin are back in form. And I think the other thing for them is that they need to really figure out why their initial upgrades and all the upgrades after that weren't working for them and why that development direction slowed them down to the extent that they had. Still a great weekend for them, though. That's not to detract from the fact that they have had one of their best weekends in months and took home some really, really good points. Fernando Alonso back on the podium. You could tell how much it meant to Aston Martin to see him back on a podium again. It's been so, so many races, especially when he went from getting them so consistently. So I'm sure that is very welcome to Aston Martin and to Fernando Alonso. Looking at Alpine, I mean, gutting, gutting sprint quality session for Esteban Ocon but can I just say I am so impressed by the Alpine mechanics they've done a phenomenal job of getting that car ready in the state that it was in for the sprint just a couple of hours later they worked so hard to make sure that car was up and ready to run in the sprint so 
my hat's off to them. Well done to the Alpine mechanics. You guys did an amazing job. And I'm sure Esteban Ocon also appreciated all the time and effort that went into that. But other than that, though, it was actually a good weekend for them. Double points finish. That's not anything to complain about. And I know they're not really battling anyone in the Constructors' Championship right now. They are very comfortable where they are in P6. But these performances do just help the team feel better about the direction they're going in. And just in general, helps the team feel motivated and excited and especially at the end of a triple header it's a very long time to be away from family and friends and loved ones you know for some of these people that are working in and around f1 they will not have seen loved ones for a month there is a very long time not to see your partner or your friends or your children or your siblings or parents and i think performances like this and getting that double points finish does make it feel a little bit more worthwhile so, not a bad weekend at all from the Alpines to close off this triple header. Williams, on the other hand, probably a race that they will want to forget. It was going to be a bad weekend for them anyway, I think, when you saw the way they were performing in the shootout and in qualifying. And I think that just got compounded by the fact then that Alex Alblin had such a horrible incident in turn one. And can I just say, super thankful both of those drivers are okay but Alex's car was just an absolute wreck. It looked awful. And Williams are a team that have openly said, James Ellis has openly said when he's been talking on the pit wall, that they are struggling for spare parts. Logan Sargent's car right now, or at least a couple of races ago, has been an amalgamation of old spec and new spec parts because they don't have enough of everything. So I don't really know what's going to go on with Alex Alpin's car for Vegas and whether they are going to have to have some old and new parts on that car, especially under a cost cap era as well. Logan Sargent ended up finishing in P11. Yes, he did benefit from the six DNFs that we had, but just in general, we're still running a good race pace-wise. So yeah, I think... Williams will be happy with his progress in this race and I think Logan will be as well. AlphaTauri, I mean, just wow. Those upgrades that they have on the car are working so, so well for them. I said this last weekend, but it's just a transformed car. They're not struggling. I did have them down for double points, honestly. I really thought they would get double points, um, but it was just unlucky, the incident that Daniel Ricciardo got caught up in. Like Oscar Piastri, there was just nothing that he could do about it, but at least he managed to run. Hopefully, AlphaTauri can get some more data on the upgrades and what's working for them and what's not. And for Daniel, considering he's had to miss races due to injury when he got caught back in and obviously then missed the first part of the season because he didn't have a seat, I think just having that runtime in the car is crucial for him right now. But Yuki ended up getting points during the sprint and during the race, so amazing for him. I think he got a total of five points this weekend, which when you are further down the table in the constructors, makes a massive amount of difference to what your standing is. But those were the first points that AlphaTauri have managed to score in a sprint race. They haven't managed to do it before, so Yuki managed to get those points in for them. Alpha Romeo, I mean, yeah, they're ninth in the constructors right now, which isn't great. I'm pretty sure at one point they were actually quite close to Williams, who are in P7. And they looked like they were going to be able to close in on them a little bit. But yeah, two DNFs, a double DNF for the team. 
And all they said was that both Shoguan Yu and Valtteri Bottas had similar tech issues. We don't know what it is. I think Alfa Romeo said they're going to have to investigate a little bit further to fully understand. That is three Ferrari-powered cars that didn't finish the race, which might cause a couple of raised eyebrows around the paddock and amongst the Ferrari customer teams. It might not be related to the Ferrari power unit at all, but we will wait and see if Alfa Romeo say what has happened there and what they are going to be doing. Hopefully Vegas will go better for them. And then finally, we have Haas, who are still last in the championship. I mean, they did look like they were going to have a better race. Just didn't happen. I mean, they put their drivers on the medium tyres during the sprint race, and they've done this before, and I never know what they're expecting to see here. They go on an opposite strategy to everyone else. I think they're just hoping that, look, we'll go on an opposite strategy to what most people are expecting. Maybe we'll catch some people out and we'll be able to push further up the grid. It just doesn't work out for them, though. We had the crash from Kevin Magnussen, which isn't great. I mean, it didn't look as bad as Alex Albans. Nico Hülkenberg also having damage to his car and then not being able to get into the points. And I think that just about sums up the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. And as much as I love when we race at Interlagos, this year it just did not hit it for me. It didn't really give me that excitement that Brazil normally gives me. I think it was just down to the lack of on-track action. I was really grateful we had those five drivers battling out during the sprint, but we just didn't see enough of it during the race. We were getting massive gaps everywhere, really. And I think we've just had more interesting and exciting Brazilian Grand Prix in the past. We have a week break in Formula One now before we head out to the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. Well, I mean, we have raced in Vegas before. It was the Cervas Palace Grand Prix at the time. But this is the first time we will be racing on the Las Vegas Strip. I'm a bit apprehensive about this Grand Prix. I can't lie to you guys. I don't really know what to think about it. The track to me doesn't look like the most interesting one. It is going to be very cold because it is nighttime out in Vegas, so the temperatures drop a lot. So I think tyres are going to be a huge issue for the drivers and getting good grip and warming them up properly. But we'll wait and see. It might pleasantly surprise me. I hope it does. It's a morning race for everyone in the UK because of the time difference. But yeah, we will just wait and see what happens there. Even though there is no Formula 1 next week, I will be back next Tuesday at 9am and I'm going to be doing an episode just about Sergio Perez. He's had such an up and down couple of seasons and I'm going to just do a bit of a dive into his three seasons with Red Bull and what is going on with him right now. So I've started getting my notes together for that podcast episode. I'm excited to record it and share it with you guys. So I will see you next Tuesday at 9am. But we will have a chat about the only Mexican driver on the grid right now, Sergio Perez. Thank you guys so much for listening and y'all and vow. Make sure you follow me on TikTok and Instagram at stewards underscore office for more Formula One content. And I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the stewards office.